Okay, so what, what are we celebrating exactly? What's going on here when we talk about the Holy Trinity? Um, so this, this thing, we, we could go all the way back to the beginning, in fact. So, so God does what? He creates. This, this is who he is. Um, he, he just, he creates. And we talked about this a, a number of weeks ago about everything that God makes, which, which is much more than just this world, but, but it's, it's the entire universe, which is 90 billion light years across. So it's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's, it's so, so big that we can't even fully understand it. And in his, within his creation, once he creates everything, he begins to reveal himself little by little. Uh, and we know this because we can read the book of Genesis. And, and the fact that we can read the book of Genesis, uh, the story of creation and, and, and everything that follows from it, that in itself is, is amazing because God, God reveals to this, the sacred author of scripture in such a way so that now we can read it and get insights into the mind of God, into the actions of God. This, this is incredible. So we know that, that in the book of Genesis, the very first chapter, uh, God is revealed there to be God, right? So just very simple, capital G with an O, o and D, G-O-D, right? So this, this is God. Uh, the name in Hebrew is Elohim, uh, which I've talked about before, but, but just in case if we, we forgot, the name Elohim refers to God as, as this all-powerful, all-knowing creator God who, who creates everything that exists, and everything that exists is, is a lot. Um, and, and he watches over all of it. Um, the sense is that God is powerful, right? He's, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, that, that he knows everything. He's omniscient. He, 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 he knows everything, right? And that he watches over everything. So, so he's just this amazing, powerful God. But at the same time, the sense with, with this title Elohim is that God is, is like a little bit distant from the rest of his creatures, the rest of his creation, or all of his creation. Um, this, this is who he is. But then what happens? Slowly from there, over time, God continues to reveal himself to his people bit by bit, and he gets different names. Uh, one, one name is El Shaddai, God Almighty, or Almighty God. And then in the book of Exodus, something incredible happens. This, this God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who's a bit distant, he comes to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He comes to Moses in this burning bush, right? This story that we all know so, so well because it's such a familiar story where the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And it calls out to Moses and, and Moses comes and the bush says, like, take off the sandals from your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And then from there, he calls Moses to go and, and talk to Pharaoh and, and all the things. And Moses says, okay, great, this is awesome. But, but what if the people ask me who it is that sent me to do this mission? Like, what? What name would I give? In other words, Moses is like, okay, Lord, like you've, you've obviously come so close and you've, no, you've noticed the problems of your people, but, but what's your name? Right? And this is something that, that we find valuable. If we're, if we're going to become familiar with somebody, we want to know that person's name. Um, we introduce ourselves maybe, you know, I'll say, I'm on my, my name's Father Brian, and then there's an expectation that, that you're going to then tell me your name. And this is exactly what God knows Moses' name. So now Moses is like, okay, but I want to know your name. And it's here that God reveals him, his name, and the name that he reveals is not Elohim, but it's, it's this sacred divine name, what, what is uh, in all capital letters, Y-H-W-H. This is called the Tetragrammaton, a big, big word. You don't necessarily need to remember it, but Y-H-W-H. And we don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but most often you'll hear it pronounced as Yahweh. This is the, the holy, the sacred name. And, and actually for our, our, our Jewish ancestors, the Israelites, they understood this name of God to be so sacred and so holy that they don't ever pronounce it. And in fact, this is why when you read the Old Testament, anytime you see the word Lord in all capital letters, 
they understand this name to be so sacred, so holy, that not only will they not pronounce it, but they won't even write it out. And so they change the, the, the divine name to be Lord in all capital letters so that they understand that, that when they read this, like this is, this is the Lord God that we're talking about here. Not, it's the same God as Elohim, but, but now God has, has done what? He's drawn close to his people. And this is what this name implies, is, is that the God who creates everything, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, he comes close to his people because he loves them and he wants to have a relationship with them. Right? One of the things that happens uh, because of sin, and we've talked about this, one of the things that happens because of sin is that the relationship that God had with humanity is broken. We know this from, from the creation stories that when God creates the man and the woman in his image and likeness, they're able to, it says, walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, in the middle of the garden. It's a poetic way of saying that, that they were able to, able to have a kind of like communion, a kind of fellowship with God, a good and tight relationship with him. But then when sin takes place, soon enough, humans start to see God as more of an adversary, as an opponent, an enemy, rather than as one that they could have a fellowship with. And so the relationship is, it's not just that it's damaged, it's that it's broken entirely. And so what we find now as the Lord reveals himself in this way is, is the Lord knows the relationship is broken, but he doesn't want it to be that way. And so he draws close to his people as though he's trying to tell them, like, we've got to find a way to fix this problem. Like, let's, let's, let's work this out together. Right? This, this is who God is. Uh, and, then, and then from there, he just kind of continues to slowly reveal himself, even though his people, his people continue to wrestle with sin and maybe not even wrestle they just like they just like give into it right they continue to rebel against him over and over and over again but but the sense in scripture is that god wants to share life with his people uh, this is what this, this name lord means and then something happens in the new testament something incredible happens where where we encounter god but we encounter him in a, in a different kind of way and, and in the Old Testament, whenever we're talking about God, there's, there's oftentimes this sense of like, okay, it feels like there's more to him than, than what's simply being revealed. Or it seems like what's being revealed is that there's more to God than just this one person. Uh, in, in fact, in, in Genesis 1, it talks about how God is there, but then the spirit of God hovers over the waters. And, and God, when he speaks, it's like there's some kind of a power to when he speaks. So then what happens in the New Testament is, is that of course, Jesus comes. Jesus reveals that there is, in fact, more to God than meets the eye, which is fitting, right? Because we can't see God. He's invisible. Um, so when Jesus comes, what's he doing? He's revealing that God is much more than just the one person, that he is one God, but that he's three persons within the one God. The Gospel of John begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what's the word? The word is Jesus, right? So Jesus was in the beginning with God and Jesus was God, right? So, so in other words, what's happening is, is the Lord is revealing that, that God is one God, but, but that he's, he's multiple persons. And this is, this is where we, we begin to get into the central mystery of our faith as, as Christians, as Catholic Christians, but as Christians in general, is, is that our God, we're, we're monotheists, so we believe in one God, but we're Trinitarian at the same time. One God who is three persons. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not kind of, it's very mysterious. And like I said at the beginning of Mass, we can't, we can't fully understand it, but at the same time, we can take the Word of God and, and we can... We can read it and find out what exactly God is revealing about himself. What we find is that, that God reveals himself to be three persons, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the Lord God, right? So God, who then develops or changes his name, it's not that God changes, but, but he reveals himself in another way to be the Lord God, the God who draws close to his people. And now the Lord God is revealed to be three persons who have, who have these titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and the reason for these titles is, is so that you and I can, through just sort of thinking about these relationships, you and I can have a deeper understanding of who God is. So just, just think about this, right? Like, what, what is a father? A lot, of you, a lot of you who are parents, right? Some of you are, are fathers, some of you are mothers, but like, what, what, is, what, is a, what does a parent do? What does a father do? We can talk about that, and we will talk about that, but, but we just to think about it, like, God reveals himself as father. He also reveals himself as son. So, so what is a son, or what, is, what does a child do, especially in relation to the father? Right? So, so there's that. And then there's the Holy Spirit, which is maybe a little bit trickier, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit too. But, but first, let's, let's go back. Okay, what, what does a father do? Well, a father, a, a good father anyway, right? And this is maybe part of it, is that, that God, who is, who is so far above us, who's so much better than us, because he creates us, he's perfect, and we're not. And so when we think of father, we all kind of come with our own experiences of our fathers, or we come with our own experiences of fatherhood whether we ourselves are our fathers or whether we've, we've watched other fathers, our, our husband maybe, or, or we've seen our own fathers at work. And so we have our kind of understanding of it. And, and some, sometimes we might have to admit, as we compare ourselves to God the Father, sometimes we have to admit that, that maybe we didn't have the best father or maybe we weren't the best father. And, and some of us maybe can easily admit to that. And, and maybe some of us have a little bit more difficult time with it. But either way, I think, I think hopefully you can agree with me that, that God is, is better than us, right? He's perfect. And we're imperfect. So as we think about fatherhood, we want to think about fatherhood in its perfect form. Right? So, so what, is it, what does the perfect father do? Well, of course, a father, every father, gives life, right? provides life for his children. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be a father if he hadn't given life with someone else or, or to someone else. A father cares for his children. A good father cares for his children. A good father does what? A good father provides for his children and, and blesses his children. Right? A good father lets his children know, I just love being with you. And I see this characteristic in you, and I just want to bless that. I, I want you to know that, that you're favorable in my eyes. That's what a good father does. A good father also does what? Instructs and teaches. Right? He's, got, he's got children, and, and the goal of, of a father's children is, is to teach and instruct his children so that they can grow and become good and mature adults themselves. And so this is what a father does. A, a good father, sometimes, not sometimes, a good father is going to give commands. I'm sure a lot of us, maybe all of us, grew up with chores to do around the house, right? Our, our fathers or our parents commanded us to do certain things. And it wasn't, it wasn't because we were to be their slaves, but, but it was because they knew that there's something good about giving responsibility to a child. Responsibility to complete a task. And if, and if you don't complete the task, then what? Then a good father is going to discipline his children. Again, not because, not because he's, he's angry or not for the sake of the discipline, but because a child who is, who is wayward needs to be disciplined and corrected so that he or she can be restored to be on the trajectory of becoming a good, mature adult. Right? So this is what a good father is going to do. A good father also is going to do what? Protect protect his child from, from anything that might bring harm to his child, right? So when we think about God the Father, these are the kinds of things that, that we want to think about, how God the Father provides for us or, or he wants to provide for us, how he cares for us, how, how he's the one who gives us life, 
how God the Father blesses us. Right? Do, you, do you know the Father's blessing? That, that he delights in you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that, that he's just happy to spend time with you. This, this is who God the Father is. That God the Father, yes, he gives us commands and we need to follow those commands. And if we don't follow those commands, then he's going to discipline us. But again, not because he's angry and, and out for punishment, but because he knows that, that if we're straying from his way, then, then we need the discipline so we can be brought back to his way. And believe it or not, God the Father also protects us. Maybe in ways that we don't know, in ways that we don't see, but he protects us from evil, provided we cling to him as our Father. Okay, so that's, that's like the fatherhood of God. That's who he is. But, but also, right, God the Son. So now, now, what does a son do in relation to the Father? Well, a son obeys, right? If the Father gives commands, then a son is going to obey his Father because he knows that his Father has his best interest in mind. So God the Son, and we know this, that Jesus, Scripture says, was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. That Jesus, in all things, was obedient to the will of the Father, even when the will of the Father was not a pleasant thing. The, a son is also going to do what? If the Father gives a blessing, a son's going to receive that blessing. Jesus, we know there, there are times in Scripture where he just simply delights and he praises God the Father for, for what he's done and, and for hearing him and for, for loving him, right? Jesus knows the Son, right? He knows that the Father blesses him and cares for him. A son is going to listen to the Father because he wants to be just like his Father, right? How many of us know kids or, or we ourselves as kids, we wanted to be just like our dads when, he, when we grew up? This is who Jesus is, the Son. He wants to be just like his dad, just like his father, this is what, what a son ultimately do, does. He, he wants to be an image of his father. And scripture actually tells us this, that, that God is invisible. And so Jesus, right, he's sent into the world, as we heard in our gospel. God lo loved the world so that he gave his only son. He sent his son into the world to do what? To be a living image of the father. So Jesus, we look at him, and, and as we look at him, as we listen to him, as we hear him, we hear the Father speaking through him. In fact, Jesus says this. He's like, the words I speak to you, they're, they're not my own, but I speak on behalf of the Father because the Father has given me his authority to be his image in the world. This is, this is incredible. This, this is who Jesus is. So, so when we think about Jesus, we think about him as son, but also, th this, is, this is kind of the cool thing, it's where we maybe break from, from the pattern for just a minute, that when you and I are baptized, we, we become members of that family. We become adopted sons and daughters of the Father. Scripture says that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. So not only can we understand Jesus as son, as, as we ought to, as a member of the Trinity, but we also should understand Jesus as what? As like our older brother, as our big brother. So not only do we want to ask, how, how does the son relate to the father? But we also want to ask, how does the older brother relate to his younger siblings? And again, this is, this is maybe something that, that a lot of us have had poor example of, where, where we've actually maybe had older siblings, and our older siblings have not been the ideal over sibling, older siblings, where, where they've been picking on us or, 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 or trying to beat us up or, or whatever, like, like giving us a hard time about things. Now, maybe some of us had really good older siblings, but, but I know that it's also the case that a lot of people just didn't. And see, we don't actually know what it means to, to understand that Jesus is, a, is an older brother, but, but that he's, he's perfect. So what's he going to do? He's going to do exactly what the Father does. He's going to teach us and instruct us. He's going he's to carry with him the, the authority of the Father so that, so that when he gives us commands, right, we, we are to listen to him and obey him. He's going to protect us from, from other things, right, because he's our older brother who wants to protect his younger siblings. 
He's, he's going he's gonna to give us a model for life to show us that, that, okay, this is how you live as a son of the Father. Right? So to understand Jesus, like, this is how we got to relate to him. Like, how does Jesus act? How does he instruct me? How does he want to care for me as my older brother, as my redeemer? Absolutely. My savior? Absolutely. Right? And this is where his perfection is, that, that he lays down his life for me and for you because he's such a good brother, because he's such a good savior. But then for us, we got to be able to look at him and, and say like, okay, this, this is what it means to be a son of the father, to lay down my life for others, for the glory of God. Okay, now the Holy Spirit, right? So, so the Holy Spirit is like this trickier thing because we don't, we don't really have like a human way of relating to the Holy Spirit. But we can look at the word spirit and we can say, okay, well, what is a spirit? A spirit is something invisible that, that maybe works inside of me, right? If I, am, if I am inspired, that means some kind of a spirit has come into me and, and given me a burst of energy. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit provides inspiration. What is inspiration? It's divine guidance, the Holy Spirit empowers me, right? When, for, for some of you, not, not for all of you, but for some of you, when you hear someone who's, who's a good speaker speaking, what happens? You say, well, I was really inspired by that, right? Something about their word, it moved inside of you in such a way that it, it caused you to want to live differently or it caused you to want to think differently or it caused you to want to, to, to move in some sort of direction, Right? This, is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers us. He moves us. He teaches us ultimately and reminds us of what Jesus himself did and taught. So now, now we've got all three of these, these persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and we can think about how do I relate to these people? Because this is the thing. Like, why, why is any of this important? It's important because it's important to God. The God who, who begins as this all-powerful creator, all-knowing God, he does what? He comes close to us because he wants to have a relationship with us. And he, by the way, is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each of those three persons wants to have a relationship with you and with me. Right? Like, this, this is the thing. We are made to become familiar with God because we are entering into the family of God. And so th this big encouragement this, this weekend is, is very simple. Do you have a relationship with the Father? Do you have a relationship with the Son? And do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? I, I know for myself, as, as I was thinking about this, I, I don't always. Sometimes in my prayers, a lot of times, I focus only on Jesus. I know, I know there are lots of people, actually, who haven't gotten beyond God in Genesis 1. There are plenty of people who just see God as this distant, all-powerful, all-knowing God who just sort of watches over, waiting to punish when in fact, we gotta, we gotta understand, like, no, that God draws close to us and he reveals himself to us intimately so that we could become familiar with him. Always to understand that, yes, he's God, but, but that that God loves us and cares for us and, and wants a real relationship with us. So I just, I really encourage you in your prayers to not just pray to God as this distant God, but to pray to the Father and to talk to him like you would talk to a good father to pray to the son and to talk to him like you would talk to a good older brother, a good savior, and to talk to, to the Holy Spirit as you would talk to someone who wants to inspire you and empower you, to share a relationship with each one of those three members of the Trinity because they're unique and because you are unique to them. This, this is the incredible thing of, of being Christian, of being called by God, is, is that God lives in me and he wants to know me and he wants me to know him. And, 
And what a gift that is, that, that we have that.